The Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. This is the first episode of our series titled Living and Photographing in Navajoland. This is episode number one. We are going to do a series of podcasts on Navajoland and on our experiences living in Navajoland and how that applies to photography. And this is the first episode of that series. And of course, some people might think that the relationship between Navajo culture and photography is not all that obvious, but we will prove this otherwise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we are going to show that there is a relationship and a pretty good one. And I think that that's what's going to make that series interesting. And today we're going to start by talking about how we moved to Navajo land and started a photography business there. Well, let's start about why we moved there. I think that's a lot of people ask uh, this question, you know, why did you move to Chinle, Cayendoche, Navajoland? Well, I think once you decided that you wanted to do photography as a living, you know, that that's what you wanted to do full time, my teaching certificate was still good for like another six or seven years in Arizona. So we decided we love Arizona. Uh, we couldn't take the weather in Upper Michigan, so the decision was that we were going to go back to Arizona, but where? Right. You know, where do we go? Where do you want to go? And my question was, is, well, you're the one that wants to photograph, so where do you want to live? Right, and we may want to go back a little bit and explain that first, we, before we moved to Cayendoche, we lived in Michigan. We lived in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and that... Uh, we got tired of the snow. Oh, <laughs> the I, couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. And I got tired, and I was a grad student, and I got tired of being a grad student, not making much money, if any at all, and being overworked and underpaid. And I thought it'd be just as good to do photography and try to make a living at it, because uh, whatever amount I've made doing photography wouldn't be less than what I made being a grad student. <laughs> and a teaching assistant. Or a teaching assistant, yeah. But I was making so little money that I could easily make that same amount selling photographs. And the thinking was very simple. At the time, I was making $600 a month. And so I divided $600 by 30 days and it came to $20. And I decided that if I could make $20 a day selling my photographs, then I would meet or make the same amount as I did as a teaching assistant. And so that's what I did. Right. And, and I remember how excited you were. You're like, I think I can do this. And then you started talking about, well, if I make $40 one day or $80 one day, then that means I don't have to make money on those other days. And you were so excited. So then, you know, the next question was, uh, you know, you leaving your studies at Michigan Tech. That right. was a Making big a deal. commitment, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Which we did. Uh, you know, I decided to do this full time and uh, we moved to Chinle. We moved to Navajoland to Cayendoche. Chinle is the town at the mouth of Cayendoche in, uh, I think it was two, 1995. Yes. Yeah. And uh, for the first two years that we were there, I tried to sort of find a way to sell photographs, basically. Well, and, and the first uh, outlet was uh, pretty much the arts and crafts shows in Chinle right. uh, just after Thanksgiving, and they would go through till Christmas. The bazaars. Yes, the bazaars. <laughs> we sold yes. artwork in uh, bazaars on the Navajo Reservation, uh, in uh, cafeterias, in uh, church halls, in 
whatever public space uh, they would organize them, basically. Right, the community center. Yeah, right. And very often we were the only white people. We were. Oh my. <laughs> we were the minority. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody was Navajo yes. and they would look at us and uh, not say anything. And we felt very... Um, self-conscious. Self-conscious is the word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we were fully aware that we were not, you know, the same color as everybody else. <laughs> we were white. Um, but eventually, they did not mind. You know, and I think that was the thing. We were intimidated with our self-conscious, but eventually they did not have any animosity. They did not mind. And not only that, but what we came to understand is that they actually thought that making a living selling artwork, which is what I was trying to do, was perfectly fine. Yes, and it was normal. It was normal because a lot of them, a lot of Navajo uh, men and women and children made their living selling artwork. Yes, they have family members, at least several of them, whether they're jewelers, rug weavers, sand painters, carvers. Pottery. Pottery, rug weaving, I mean, all of that. Yeah, anything and everything, all of the traditional arts and crafts that the Navajo practice. So for them, it's nothing uncommon to see somebody trying to make a living or making a living selling artwork. Right, and, and that's normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that I was teaching, and you were photographing, and you know, setting up at these bazaars to sell your work—that was normal. That's right. normal for them. And it was the white people, the teachers, that were saying uh, to Alan, you, "Alan, let me let us. We we can find you a job." <laughs> yeah, they wanted me to find a job. Teaching, because, you know, right? Teaching. How, how would you like to teach photography at the high school? <laughs> because there was a problem. I was home doing quote unquote nothing. Exactly. And the white teachers, the white people, had a problem with that. But the Navajos didn't, because in Navajo culture, it's very common that one person works and other people in the family don't work. Right, and stay yeah. home and, and work on home. their art. And right. then they they yeah. either, you know, go to the overlooks and sell mm-hmm. their artwork or they sell in, mm-hmm. in other venues. Right, and I, I tried that. I tried the overlooks. It did not work for me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> first of all, it's very competitive. And yeah. second of all, you don't live along the rim of the Canyon right. de Yeah, because that's how setting an overlook works. You sell, if you're Navajo, at the Canyon Overlook that's the closest to your home. Exactly. And that's very competitive, it's, too. And if you're 10 miles away and you sell at an overlook that's not close to your home, the people that live close to that overlook are going to tell you to go and uh, find will, an overlook closer to your place. Exactly. Yeah. This they, is not for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's the logic, you know. Yes. It's not regulated by the National Park or anything. It's oh, just, no. Uh, that's the logic. And if you don't understand the logic, then it can be confusing. Why don't you sell over there? Well, I tried, but it did not work for me. Right. <laughs> There's another family <laughs> that sells over there. But yeah, so we started at ground zero, you know. But I think also, you know, at the bazaar, so Navajos that looked at your work, the other artists mm-hmm. that were there, you know, right. after they had set up, would come right. by and look at your artwork your photographs and they really liked them they were appreciative they Uh, were and they thought they were beautiful and then the also that you decided that you would only photograph the beauty of the navajo reservation that you would never photograph the people these were conscious decisions that you made I i will not photograph the people i will not photograph the poorness i will not photograph the trash i will not photograph the ceremonies i mean all of these you made conscious decisions 
that I'm just going to focus on the landscape and photograph the beauty of the Navajo Reservation. And they could see that through your images. And yeah. they respected you. Right, yeah, I wanted to share a positive message. So I did not photograph anything that was negative. In fact, many artists wanted to come to you and trade for your photographs because they right. they didn't have the... Well, you know, the barter yeah, no, system is really and popular on the rest. Yeah. <laughs> rugs, they wanted to yeah. trade rugs sure. or... Yeah. Jewelry. Uh, flutes, jewelry. Arrowheads, arrows. Yeah, arrows. <laughs> arrows are a big thing on the rest. It's supposed to bring uh, protection. It is, protection. You put the arrow over your door, door to yes. protect the house. The front door of the house. Yeah. And I did trade, but you know, you gotta be careful. You can't trade all your stock. No. <laughs> right? Because trading doesn't bring money, it brings a trade, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you would have to sell that yourself. So I, I had to be careful. The same with the income. If you sell photographs at an arts and craft show, you don't want to spend all the money you made on other arts and crafts, right? Right. You don't want to spend it all right. on jewelry or, or work. But or. even though Chinley is very small, there is, um, you know, you have lots of doctors and nurses because it's a military hospital, and a lot of them are working there to, you know, right. work off their uh, medical bills that right. they have or loans, medical loans they have, so they'll work at that military hospital, you know, put in a certain number of years. And of course, some stay there their whole career. That's a different story. And all of the schools, there was a large enough audience, buying audience for you and Chen Li, where you actually, when you did several shows, would make thousands of dollars in a very small Mm -hmm. uh, right. area or right. place. And I had no competition because nobody else was doing photography. Exactly. So it was, if you wanted a photograph, you had to buy it from me. Well, Navajos don't really use photography as a medium. Um, right, it's not a traditional medium. Yeah. yeah. And it's also expensive. As an art form. I mean, you, you can do rug weaving with a loom that you make at home using uh, wools that you spun from the sheep and dyeing it with uh, natural dyes natural dyes and basically spend nothing right right maybe a little bit of money for the the thread that you use to create the the, the thread of the loom you know but you don't have to spend anything photography is very different you're gonna have to buy your camera now you have to buy your computer you have to buy your printer i mean it's thousands of dollars and it's they very technical and too. it's very technical but they don't have the money and they don't have the training right so photography is too expensive for them and very often they don't even know how to do it because they don't learn it in the school you know there is no photography class in chinle for example well the first year that I started teaching in Chinle, they were building the dark room at the high school. It wasn't even completed yet. Right, so and they that were was 1995? Yes, 1995. And basically, dark room was already obsolete. So right. as soon as they built it, you know, they started digital and they went back to square one. Right. So definitely a big challenge at the technical level because this is a field that changes very fast. Even if you have the money to invest, you're not going to have necessarily the money to continue updating your equipment and your software. So it's a very big challenge for Navajos because it's basically an expensive hobby. You know, it's an expensive activity. It is. And, uh, you know, you, okay, we can say, well, doing jewelry is expensive, but very often a jeweler on the rails that's starting will get tools from an older jeweler who is retiring. Right. And so all they have to buy is some silver, 
very often they'll make do with something that somebody gives them, you know, and they'll buy just as much as they can buy, maybe buy $50, $100, then make something, sell it, and use the proceeds to buy more. Right, you know? exactly. It's almost like they buy as they sell. They buy know, as they go, right? Yeah. Buy $100 of silver, make a couple of jewelry items, sell them for $200, use $100 to buy food, reinvest $100. Right. And they continue like that. You don't do that with photography. No. You got to lay out thousands of dollars without knowing if you're going to recoup anything. Right. You know, and it's also harder to sell. It's also fragile. It is very fragile. Um, these are paper items. Uh, you know, even, uh, you know, when you do a sand painting, it's on a piece of wood, you know, for example. Or when they do the kachinas, mm -hmm. it's the root of the cottonwood right. tree. So this you're going out in nature and you're finding a beautiful root that has this beautiful right. shape and movement that you're going to sculpt a form out right. of. Yeah, a lot so. of Navajo craftsmen or women, they really spend no money when they get started. No, even the pottery. Right. There are times of the year when there's water rushing down Canyon de Chez and these uh, clay balls will roll and actually you'll find big chunks of clay that's already kneaded. I mean, if you cut it in half, it'd be perfectly smooth, no right. air bubbles, because it's been rolling down the canyon. Yeah, we had read about that, and we did not believe that it could happen. And oh, then yeah. one time there was a storm, and we went into the canyon, and there was clay balls right there. Right. And uh, all you have to do is pick out the pebbles on the outside of the clay. Exactly. And the inside is clean. And yeah. even the Navajo yeah. traditional pottery, you use the pitch from mm. the juniper right. tree, and you polish it and polish it and polish it mm. by hand. Right. You know, so a lot of that is materials that you find, mm -hmm. you know, out in nature, and it's just a lot of time. There's no know. expense. They right. also paint a lot on or rocks. Or very little expense. Now they paint on sandstone, on rocks. Yes. And so what they are doing is finding flat rocks in the canyon, painting on top of the, the rock. And very often your students would actually borrow some school supplies to paint. Oh, yes, I, I always gave them So they spend absolutely no money. They would find yeah. a rock in a canyon, get some paint from you, and they're in business. Oh, yeah. You know? So to all of that to say that they are not doing photography and I had no competition. And they did not mind because, you know, photography is not something that they do, right? Right. If I had done jewelry, there could have been a little bit of a resentment, but not with photography. I wasn't taking any money away from anybody. Right. Because I and wasn't selling something that competed with us. And you weren't using uh, their designs and your jewelry right. or right. anything. That may have been a different situation. Yeah, yeah. But the one thing I will say about the Navajo in regards to photography is that they know light. They know light better than many photographers right. that I have met over the years because they spend so much time outside. Right. And we'll talk about that in a future episode, so we're not going to expand on that today. We just want to stick to how we started the business in uh, Chinle, in Canada Shea. So basically, you know, the arts and craft shows and another outlet that uh, I was using was to sell note cards at the hotels. Yes. I would sell note cards. I would make note cards myself, print them on my printer, which at the time was an Epson, actually a, an HP 855C printer. I printed on stock and I had bought a lot of uh, card stock for note cards and then envelopes. And I would make packs of five envelopes with scenes of Cayenne de Chez. Yes. And a little message inside, a little greeting message. And I would sell them to the hotels for $5 a pack and they would resell it for $10. Right. So it wasn't a very big money maker, but it was an income. Right. It was a way to start, you know. And in a way, I was doing and what the, the Navajos were doing, which is make a little bit of money, then reinvest that money, and then try to go a little bit farther with it, you know. 
Well, and I believe the Best Western also bought small prints. Some of the hotels started buying small prints. Matter did buy 10 prints. But it wasn't selling as well as note cards because at a gift shop, people want a practical item. Right. They're going to buy a print, but they really liked buying something that they could write and send to their relatives while they're on vacation. And the other thing is that buying a print was more expensive for the hotel and they were not interested in taking that chance in a way. Right. You know, they, the note cards, they could see easily that they were going to resell it. Right. The prints, they were not sure. You know, and so it was a little bit more challenging. And at the time, I did not have the marketing skills to tell them why buying them would be good for them, <laughs> would benefit right. them, you know. Well, so, I remember when I went to school one day to teach and your... Uh, goal for the day was to, you know, drive to the hotels, drive to Kayenta and the hotels in Kayenta and also, you know, sell note cards. And, right. I went as far as Kayenta, which was Monument Valley, which is uh, two hours away from Chinle. But the problem is the farther you drive, the more driving cars there was, you know, right. with gas and so on. So it's really not viable to drive long distances to sell something inexpensive like a pack of note cards, you know. Even though, you know, I would not sell one at a time, I would sell 10 or 20, it's still not valuable. It was better to do it locally because the profit that you made was spent on gas. Right, way, you, know. right. <laughs> you know. And we did not have a very gas-efficient uh, vehicle back then. But that was the beginning. That's how I started. That, yes. Know? And then uh, from there, I started thinking that, you know, it wasn't enough to generate a solid income. And we started looking at shows. And eventually, I found the Grand Canyon show, which uh, was the next step, right? That was the next big step, yeah. was yeah. finding who ran the show and how to apply for that show. And and, and, and getting in touch with them and, and believing that we c- I could be in that show because we had actually seen the show when we moved back from Michigan while we stayed in Flagstaff. We drove to the Grand Canyon for a day and we walked in front of the Altavar and we saw that artists were selling their work at the Altavar. Right. And I told you, I think this is the perfect show for me. I you think did. I can sell my work there. But it took me two years to actually decide to do it, have the confidence to do it in a way, you know. Because I think there is a gap between saying, I want to do this, and actually making the decision that you're here, you are going to do this. Right. And back then, that gap was two years. Today, I think it will be a whole lot shorter. But it takes courage to go to the next step, you know, it whatever does. the endeavor might be. And, and I think that as we move ahead in life, you know, there is always another step. And that other step is always going to take courage. In my case, it took two years. And after two years, I decided that it was time to really go ahead and try to get in that show. And uh, the challenge that I had was finding who was running that show. Right. And and how to apply. And how to apply. But who was running it? Because that was the person to apply to. Right. And as it turned out, the person who was running the show was a lady who ran a beauty salon in the Bright Angel Lodge. Right, and I remember. And of course, that's the last thing on your list, that the person that organizes the art show at the Eltover Hotel at Grand Canyon runs the beauty salon in the Bright Angel Lodge, right? And I spent two days on the phone trying to get the phone number of that person. And at the time, we had an operator at Grand Canyon. Right, I remember. We had a phone operator. And so I, I called the operator after I tried to call the Eltover and all sort of people, and nobody had any idea. And I, I finally, they said, why well, don't call the operator? So I called the operator and I said, I'm trying to find out the person that organizes the art show at the Altavar. And she said, you know, it may sound far-fetched, but I believe it is 
the person that runs the bright angel hair salon. Right, <laughs> right. And, and she could not find the phone number. And eventually she found the phone number. She gave it to me and I called. And I said, you know, I may be off, but I'd like to sell my work at the Altavar. And from what I understand, you're running the Altavar show. And it was uh, the lady running the Grand Canyon show. And she said, yes. And I also run the bright angel hair salon. And I'm the person to talk to. And why don't you send me some of your work? Right, a sample of your a work. A sample of your work. And that right. was it. She gave me her address and uh, what I did back then, since I was selling note cards, <laughs> I sent her a sample of note cards and small prints, right? Right. And all of these were printed on watercolor paper. It yes. wasn't photographic at all. It was very... Um, Painterly. Painterly and definitely very computer-based. And I sent it to her and uh, I did not hear anything for two months. Right? I know. You know, I did not hear any news, no answer. I knew she got it. So eventually, I started getting very frustrated. And I told you, I said, you know, I have to control myself because I'd like to call and say, what the heck is going on? Yeah, <laughs> right? where's my work? Where is my stuff, right? Right. <laughs> and I said, but I, I'm just going to call and be composed. And just ask her, uh, did you receive it? Yeah, did you receive my stuff? Right? <laughs> and so I called and I said, did you receive my, my package? You know, I sent it about two months ago. And she said, oh, yeah, I sent it. And I, I meant to call you for a long time, but I never did. I'm behind, blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyway... What do you do next weekend? Yeah. Right? You Can know, you meet me in you know, the parking and, and, lot? Right. And when somebody says, somebody that you want to work with says, what do you do next weekend? You're doing nothing next weekend. Exactly. <laughs> I remember you saying right. exactly that. Nothing. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you're doing next weekend, right? You've been waiting two months for this lady to answer. She picked up the phone. She answered you. She's asking you. What are you doing next weekend? Well, it so happens that next weekend is free. Exactly. <laughs> um, what do you have in mind? Well, I'd like to meet you. And, Why don't uh, you drive up here to yeah. Grand Canyon? Why don't you drive up to Grand Canyon? That was a 600-mile round trip. Oh, yeah. Um, it was a five-hour drive. Five-hour drive each way. Yeah. Right? And um, 300 miles at 60 miles an hour. That's five hours. And we did it. We did. We met Mary Louise in the parking lot of Ver Camps <laughs> in yes. the Grand Canyon. At the Grand Canyon. And she took a good look at me. And she said, uh, what do you do, you know, two weeks from now, right? I think. Right. And, and the, of course, the answer said, was nothing. Yeah, I looked at her and I said, well, you know, as it so happens, two weeks from now, I'm free, right? <laughs> you know, because again, when somebody wants to work with you and they say, what do you do two weeks from now? You say, I'm available, right? And she said, the reason why I ask is because I have a show for me. For, for two days. my work for two days and I can't do it. And if you're interested, you can have my two days. Yes. And so that's how we got started. And I remember yeah, how yeah, excited we yeah. were. And I think that was the beginning of the Grand Canyon show. And that year, we had those two days. That was it, I think. That or, was it? Or we may have had two more days. I think um, we, we had two days. I think it was just two yeah, days. But those two days changed our lives. And we'll talk about that more in the next episode. I think that's a good place to sort of stop oh, yeah. here for today and... I agree, um, and to pick know, up where and, the and pick story. up where we left off uh, <laughs> during the next episode. Sort of keep the listeners sort of hanging, you know. <laughs> leave a little bit of mystery, you know. And <laughs> so stay tuned, and uh, we'll cover the rest of this story in the next episode. <laughs>